Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he is wonderful. Praise his holy name. Praise God, we're reformed, but we're not Dutch. Praise God. Hallelujah. God shows his beauty in all of his nations. Amen. Yes, he does. We ask that you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 17 through 26. That's the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 17 through 26. And if you found a sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, God is our refuge. And would you please stand for the reading of God's infallible, inerrant word. The book of Acts, chapter 21, 17 through 26. And this is what the word of God says. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting him, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves among them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as far as the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. This is the word of God. 
I ask you to hear it and receive it because it is truly his word. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to talk about compromise, but compromise with a purpose and what I consider, and I think the Bible teaches clearly, a faithful compromise in which Paul has made. So first, let's find out what is a compromise. To compromise is to make concessions or accommodations for someone who does not agree with the predominant set of standards or rules. Now, my Bible makes it clear that God does not uh, condone compromising his standards. You see in Psalm 119, 1 through 4 in the New Living Translation, it says this, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his law and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have been charged us to keep your commandments carefully. This word joyful describes people, people that should be like us, people of righteousness that are totally subservient to God's will and wholeheartedly devoted in our relationship with him. As Christians, we do not compromise or deviate from God's standards, but we are careful to walk only in his paths. We always listen and we always resolve in our hearts to hear God's voice and to hear God's voice only. John 10, 27, Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, if we are yielded to God's word, we won't deviate from it. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I consider your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. So not compromising requires our unswerving submission to God and him only, regardless of what the world is requiring of us. Psalm 115, or as you were, Psalms 119 and 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You and I as believers, we have to seek that no one takes us captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Not anything that depends on human tradition or on the basic principles of this world, but always on the principles of Christ. As Christians, we are called to make a defense to anyone who would ask us the reason for the hope that we have. In other words, we're commanded not only to remain faithful to the word, but to defend God's word from all those who are in opposition to it. 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his, appoint, uh, his opponents with what? Gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. 
if we recognize that God is serious about us not compromising his words and not taking on the values of this world, then we are able to come to our senses and escape the snare of the devil. If we are professing Christians, then we want to live our lives in accordance to what scripture demands. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here come the three things, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But, very important but here, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the world's side that you recognize that everything that the world offers, every value that the world is, says is preeminent is going to pass away? Or are you going to be on the Lord's side which says that the will of God abides forever? Jesus refers to these people later on. You see it in Matthew 4. 19, or rather 18 through 19. Those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in. They choke out the world or choke out the word and it proves in them to be unfruitful. Those of us who are professing to follow Christ never should compromise our faith for the cravings of worldly success or the accolades from men. Jesus chastised such people who rationalized their questionable behavior. John 5, 41 through 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? To compromise is to take one's total allegiance and that should be devoted to God and exchange it for the allurements of this world. So, Pastor, how do we in real time compromise the word of God? One, when we fail to accept God's word as God's word. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate. Look at this. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Would you go to a doctor who would only prescribe what you would prescribe for yourself, especially since you haven't been to medical school? and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So how do we compromise? When we place our desires and the desires of others ahead of the word of God. Look at Acts 5 and 4. 
while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As true believers in Christ, we must accept God's word as the absolute inerrant truth. We must be fully obedient to his word. We must recognize that his word is not compromised for anyone or any reason. Now, in today's passage, some have claimed that Paul has made a faulty compromise. But I think as we look at this in a detailed uh, glance this morning, we will see that he is indeed making a faithful compromise because what he's doing does not violate the word of God in any way. Not God's word, not God's will, not God's purposes, but he's only adhering to cultural tradition. It is purely a cultural outreach to many Jews, yet he's doing it without denying Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, you are wonderful. You are great and greatly to be praised. Build us up on every leaning side. When we are challenged by this world to see things their way through their filter, through their eyes, let us deny that and quickly come back to your word. Let your word be the filter that allows us to accept what is true and what is wrong. And let us never deviate to be popular or to be welcome. Let us understand that we who are Christians live day in and day out operating on a stage for an audience of one, and you are that audience. Our goal is to please you, O oh Lord. So build us up, put a rod of steel in our back. Bless us with this passage today. Let us know what the parameters are and how far we can go, but let us never deny your truth. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all, and all God's children said amen. As we jump in here this morning, we recognize that Paul is being warmly received by the Jewish Christians and James and the elders, and they're all praising God for what God has done through the ministry toward the Gentiles. They're also affirming that God has brought many Jews uh, in Jerusalem to faith in Christ, those who were zealous for the law. But there's a challenge here because some of those Jerusalem leaders started to express that there was a concern about Paul's methodology, that there was a growing distorted reputation that he was teaching the Jews to turn away from Moses and the law. And they were giving him a suggestion, offering him a compromise that he might be able to prove that he was orthodox in his belief. Uh, they remind one another of, you know, this is really not the issue that they were dealing with back in Acts 15 about circumcision. 
but they want to make sure that this issue is distinct and it is that he's being accused of leading Jewish Christians away from being or living in a Jewish way of life. So Paul makes a faithful compromise and he's faithful to the end, to the true gospel. And he does it without damaging Christianity and just giving a compromise to culture. Look at 2117 here, and we see this faithful compromise which brought many Jews to Christ. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Now, Luke starts off with this incredible, loving, warm reception that we might understand that even though all of these rumors are circling around, these particular brothers gave no credit to the rumors of the false reports that were being spread around about Paul. They understood, as you should understood, understand that wicked people will always consistently and constantly spread wickedness about anyone who's pursuing a deeper and more deliberate walk with God. James and his fellow brothers were well persuaded of Paul's sincerity and faithfulness because they knew him. The brothers mentioned him here are brothers that were associates of Nason. Luke shows us here a practice that you and I should adopt as well. We should never be too hasty to believe the wicked reports about those whom we have seen by their very testimony and before our very eyes that they are trying to live faithfully and fiercely in times of great trial. Remember something. Satan will always launch an attack on those who are making a difference in this world for Christ. Satan will always sow, he will sow discord and disagreement among the faithful because he wants the attack to be seen as coming from within. He will always do whatever it takes to make us suspicious of one another and to create disunity in the body. Therefore, if we are truly Christian, we should shut our ears against false reports that may have us believing something that is not true about authentic agents of God who God himself has sent to do his will. Look at verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. You know, when you see this phrase, went in with us, you get a formalizing, some kind of official language that they are coming together to meet for some authoritative understanding to present their cases. In the church, whenever the weightier business of the church was to be handled, then they brought all the elders together. This was done so that it could be correctly and consciously, they can be, they could correctly and consciously focus on the problem at hand without dealing with the multitude. They wanted to be concise. They wanted to be considerate. 19 tells us, after greeting him, they related, rather he related one by one the things that God had done 
among the Gentiles through his ministry. For me, this is incredibly reminiscent of what we see in Acts 15 and 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. See the same thing in Acts 15 and 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I want you to look at the fact that Paul gives all the glory to God. He shows that God is the author of those great things that have happened in his ministry. In fact, he lifts it up to the point that God has used him just to receive glory for himself. He wanted those brothers to know whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We look here in verse 28, and it says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. I think this is incredibly important because you don't see a hint of jealousy from these Jerusalem leaders. They gave glory to God for the things that he had done. Acts eleven eighteen. It was said when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I think something else we should notice here is that when they give glory to God, it's yet another opportunity to sing the praises of God to an unbelieving community and to show them that God is powerful and great. They give him a compliment. Look at 20B. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. Two things you see here. First, the elder says that these Jews were converted even though they were incredibly zealous and earnest followers of the law. There had been an increasing number of Jews becoming Jewish Christians. The largest amount since they spoke about the 5,000 male believers that joined in that one city. This expression, zealous for the law, gives us an understanding that these Jews that were coming had a Pharisaic background. They may have once shared the position that it was necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. And when they said they were zealous, they were not on, they not only had zeal for the law, they had zeal for the observance of the law. It produced in them this kind of jealousy between what Christianity is saying and what should be paid to the Torah. And sometimes it would lead them to hostility because they would perceive that 
Judaism was being lessened and there was degradation against the law. They were suspicious of Paul and they thought he might abolish the law. But this was not true. He sought to honor God in all that he did. So we see here that despite loose evidence of Paul's continually loyalty to Judaism, in many respects, some still doubted him. And secondly, this wasn't the worst news or the most disturbing aspect of what was being reported by James. I think that comes later when he speaks in 21a because Paul is being accused of being a false teacher. Look what it says here, 21b, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk in our customs. There is no indication thus far in the book of Acts that any of this was true. That Paul never encouraged Jews to abandon their customs. When he speaks, he says that, okay, you need to recognize that that particular custom is neither a necessity or when it comes to salvation, it shouldn't be something that is binding to your conscience. I think it's helpful to observe here that in the growth of the Gentile missions, when Jewish Christians would come in and be included in those churches where Jewish practices in a Gentile church became a mark of being foreign. These different customs showed preferences instead of principles in the body of Christ. And we deal with that even today. If our members of the body of Christ are more concerned about what they prefer than what is the principle of the doctrines of God, we will find ourselves swept away by our own desires and never meeting the desire of the will of God. You know, I made an offhand comment about us not being Dutch. That was not to make a bad distinction against the Dutch. They worship as their culture has led them. That does not make them less Christian or make them the only Christians. What you just saw there was a display of what God has put in a certain DNA to express his glory back to himself. So that does not make that animalistic or make that uh, aberrant when it comes to a Christian service. Because nothing was violated there. Now, I'm sure that these Jews would have started to feel the pressure, even if pressure was never exuded, about how they worked in their customs as it seemed in a Gentile church as well. But what does Paul preach throughout the Bible about strong believers supporting the misunderstanding of weak believers. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. So 
for the sake of the gospel and the sake to win people from every context, we must recognize that context. If it doesn't violate scripture, then we work to bring them to Christ through what they do know until they know what they should know. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23, listen. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He said, I'm not under the Mosaic law, but I'm still under the moral law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak, that I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So it's that thin line of making sure if you're going to, that faithful compromise that does not negate the truth of God's word. So all of these reports about Paul to James and the other elders were based on a distorted view of what Paul had said, what Paul had written, what Paul had shown through his actions. But it's not unusual like Jesus and Stephen before him. Paul had to contend with false witnesses who intentionally misrepresented him. The Jewish leaders were troubled. They didn't know what to do. They wanted to try to redeem uh, Paul's reputation. Look at 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. They wanted to make sure that those people who had a distorted view of Paul would recognize him in his full orthodoxy. They were worried about those detractors that would make life rough for him. So they came up with this advice. They came up with a compromise. But I think you, uh, tell you, I think the scripture proves that this is a faithful compromise because it's not a compromise that denied Christ. They recognized that there was some animosity and there were some antagonists against him. So they spoke to Paul and asked him to make a solemn vow to purge himself that he may no longer have this suspicion hanging over his head. Look at 23. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. So they're asking him to take the public action by joining these men in the rites of purification to make a vow. This is a Nazarite vow. Now, understand this about a Nazarite vow. You'll see a lot of it probably explained in detail in Numbers 6, 1 through 21. A Nazarite vow 
was taken by individuals, underline this, taken by individuals voluntarily who wanted to dedicate themselves and yield themselves completely to God. This Hebrew word, nazim, means to separate and consecrate. Now, there are five different features in a Nazarite vow. Number one, it's voluntary. Secondly, it can be done by a man or woman. Thirdly, it has a specific time and a uh, specific time frame. Fourthly, it has specific uh, requirements and restrictions. And then, fifthly, at its conclusion, there's an offering or a sacrifice to be made. During this vow, the Nazarite could not go near a dead body. They could not drink grape juice or wine or really any fermented drink. They could not eat grapes or raisins, and they could not cut their hair until the vow was over. Look at Acts 18.18. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila at Centrica, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Jews made these vows as a purification process toward God. Paul joined in this purification ritual. He paid the offering for the four impoverished uh, Nazarenes. And he did this to show that he was doing a faithful compromise that he could be able to minister more effectively without denying what God had told him to accomplish. This is important. Look at 24b. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourselves also live in observance to the law. Paul understood that this vow was voluntary. It was not a command of the Lord, nor was it a prohibition against it. Okay, if, if something's in the Bible, there's not a command against, there's not a command to do it or a prohibition against doing it, then you do what? What's your default? Christian liberty. As long as it meets the uh, whole counsel of the word of God as not being something that you should not do as a Christian. So we look here, he's done nothing that will negate the truth or the power of the gospel. Well, what is the gospel as we know it to be at this time? It's the same then and today. It's the good news of Jesus Christ of God the Father who is holy and righteous in all his ways. The gospel clearly shows us that we have a holy God who is angry with sinners and will punish sin and that punishment will be dealt out to those who disobey the will of God and alienate the love of God. Those people are going to, and we were there too, be in danger of eternal and agonizing condemnation by the hands of a holy God. But 
God, who is also rich in mercy because of his great love, sent his eternal son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, to die as a ransom and a substitute for the sins of rebellious people like you and I. And through his perfect obedience, the Son of God and his willing death, he has paid the payment for our sins on the cross past, present, and future, and those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord and Savior will be saved from the wrath of God. Do you see that this action does nothing to negate any of that? Paul saw that taking a vow would not be repugnant to the faith of Christ. He recognized, as we should recognize, these people had a zeal without knowledge. So he does it. And we're reminded back in Acts 15:23b through 29 that this is not about circumcision. With the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your mind, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have, look, it goes back, Again, you identify people by their faith and their works before your eyes. Look what they say here. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we send Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay hands on you or lay rather lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Same thing we're dealing with 25 in our passage. Look what it says. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter without judgment that you should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from the blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So here, the only issue is that Paul was allegedly teaching people that the role of the law had nothing to do or they could not, they had not to follow that if they wanted to be a Christian. He recognized there was still custom and practices in, in being Jewish that really had nothing to do with the gospel or would not influence anyone to take a wrong turn away from the gospel. Then 26a says, then Paul took the man and on the next day he purified himself with them. He obviously went into the temple and gave notice of the date when the days of his purification would end and the offering that needed to be made for each one of them. He understood that he was stepping into a minefield here of this ritual requirement 
but he saw no prohibition in the gospel to do it. He willingly accepted it, understanding that there were dangerous consequences by doing this. And we're going to see those dangerous consequences next week when they're trying to kill him. But he did it for a reason. I want you to turn in your Bibles. And I'm going to give you a minute to get there. Go to Romans 15, verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Let me know when you're there. Bless his name. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So it's not about our preferences, right? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Here we see Paul saying that there has to be a mutual acceptance between the strong and the weak here. Now, I know he's addressing a specific problem here, but he wanted to make sure that whether Christian needed to abide by Jewish food laws. And he says no. But he also is compelled to make sure that those who are strong in the faith bear with those who scandalize such actions, right? The strong in Christ have a responsibility to tolerate and support the weak instead of living selfishly and satisfying their own desires. Psalm 69, 9 says, for the zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. It says here going forward, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. But look at, look at there's some, some qualifications there. Such harmony with one another in accord to Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever discount was in the Old Testament as being antiquated or no longer relevant. Everything that has been written has been written for our instruction, for our edification, for our assurance to encourage us that there is hope as we see the prophecies of God unfold. Therefore, welcome one another in Christ as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. 
Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises or rises to the rule of Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. You know, this has been a difficult week when it comes to trying to find harmony in the body of Christ. Early in this week, a friend from many a year put something out on Instagram saying that their daughter daughter that I knew was no longer Samantha, but Sam. And they were celebrating it. And they wanted to find biblical support for what had happened and they wanted to make sure that their daughter felt love even though she had distorted the image that God had placed upon her. And they came and said, you know, Andy, there is no prohibition against what my daughter is doing in Scripture, so I don't understand why, why you won't affirm this. I said, well, number one, that is a total misunderstanding of Scripture because all we have to do is go to Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Show me that third choice in that passage. There is no third choice. He didn't say how I felt because how you feel has nothing to do with anything. The heart is wicked and deceptive and who can trust it? Yes, you have to love them. You have to affirm in your love for them that even while they're in disobedience, you will love them, but you are ultimately praying for their obedience and that they will come back to their senses. Now, people say, well, that's harsh, Pastor. I'm just telling you what's true. You can't make what is ain't. If if Sam puts me out tonight and I spend the night in the garage, that doesn't make me a car. I may feel like it because I've been out there where the cars have been all night. It's that ridiculous. You You cannot change what the creator has created you to be. If there's difficulty with that, you need to pray to the creator to, Lord, change my heart, change my feeling to conform with your truth. Because you knew what you were doing when you made me a man. You knew what you were doing when you made me a woman. You knew what you were doing when you made me white. You knew what you were doing when you made me black, Hispanic, Asian. You knew what you were doing. You were going to show your glory through the plethora of color. He's not monochrome. So, you know, it comes a time where you just, you know, you can't, you can't compromise to, to the world's standards and redesign. 
you must just say, sometimes you just have to say, hey, stupid is stupid. And, you know, I understand we've been friends for a long time and I'm not interviewing for friends. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not because, you know, when I'm a friend, I'm a good, I'm a friend. I'm a good friend. So I don't interview because you hardly find people who are really good friends. And that will, you know, I used to talk to Sam about that, about our kids. Why are our kids such incredible friends and they get disappointed? Because they are friends to the end. And if you can't get one, somebody to match that friendship with you, you're going to be disappointed. So, you know, maybe you don't need to interview them. You need to be acquaintances until they show that they have the strength to be a friend. So maybe I lost a friend. But I didn't lose a level of satisfaction or trust with God by telling somebody something that made them feel good but was an out-and-out lie. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, it's, gonna, it's coming, it's, it's creeping in the church, and it's coming full force. And you're, if you haven't been challenged yet, you're going to be challenged, and you need to be able to say, you know, love you, but that just won't work. The Bible does not affirm that. And you just have to be honest with them and, and gently. And I hope, I, and I sincerely believe I was gentle, even though I was challenge that we are called to do and only compromise in a faithful way that does not challenge scripture at all because his word if God is not a liar man lies and God is true if it makes every man a liar let us pray dear honey father we just love you and praise you we thank you for yet another opportunity to come together. We ask you to build us up on every leaning side, to stand up and us, put a rod of steel in our back that we will stand for you and that right is right if no one is doing it and wrong is wrong if everyone is doing it. Let us stand for what is right. Let us recognize the greatest friendship we have is the friendship you gave us through our Savior and brother, Jesus Christ. Let us hold on to that. Let us defend that to the end. Let our reputations be darned that we might show respect and honor for your word. It is in the precious name of your son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said, amen.